Welcome to the 49th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today, we are doing a preview episode for UFC 269. After that, we are going to be taking a look back at last week's fight card, which was headlined by Jose Aldo and Rob Font. Because we missed that episode on Sunday, I want to make sure we touch on it. But before we get into that, like I said, we're going to go in-depth here on all of these fights from UFC 269 and we are obviously going to start at the main event which is Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. For me this is one of the toughest fights to predict not only um, on this card but when you look at all the fights that I've talked about on this card I truly believe this is one of the toughest to pick. Uh, The reasoning for that is both these guys are so good, um, and they're equally matched in a lot of areas, and they each have strengths that really can work to cancel out each other's strengths. Um, What I mean by that is Dustin is so strong, and um, I think he'll be able to stop some of the takedown attempts of Charles Oliveira. Um, On the other hand, if Charles can get it to the ground, I think he can do some real damage. And on the feet, I think Charles is a little bit longer, which can cause Dustin some problems. He's got really good technique, but Dustin is such a brawler. Um, and I and I don't mean that in a, a disrespectful way because Dustin Poirier still has great technique and great skill, but he can turn a fight into a war. And I think for a lot of those reasons... Um, I think these two cancel each other out, and I struggle picking between the two, but before I I give a pick, um, I would like to say that I I don't really believe this narrative that a lot of people have that Charles Oliveira is a quitter. This has been something that has been mulling around for probably about a year now, where Charles Oliveira will quit if you drag drag him into the deep waters. Um... I think that is inaccurate for two reasons. The first reason being, if you look at the Michael Chandler fight, just looking at that fight with Michael Chandler, he gets dropped early and he comes, he, he, he not only gets dropped, but he fights out of getting dropped and doesn't get finished. And then coming back into the second round where all the momentum, all of the momentum was for Michael Chandler, Charles Oliveira. Um, does not quit he finds an early knockout in that second round um that would have been such an easy fight to quit in after you get dropped for the first time um the other reason is we haven't seen a quit from Charles Oliveira in a long period of time several years ago the idea that Charles Oliveira would quit when things got tough um could be an acceptable critique um, I think that has faded as we go each fight without seeing that issue re- reemerge. And not only to to go with that, um, in order to make Charles Oliveira quit, you have to put him in serious trouble, which is something not many fighters can do. Looking at the fight with Chandler, didn't get past two rounds, so it's very hard to um, drag him in the fourth and fifth round where people say he will quit. Um, even in that fight, like I said, he never quit. Um, other fights with, for example, the Tony fight, he really 
um, controlled all that fight and didn't give Tony an opportunity to turn that fight into a war. Um, Tony Ferguson could make a fight a war as well, um, and he never gave him that opportunity. If you look at Kevin Lee, um, he really died. Um, I haven't watched that fight in a long time, so I don't want to say dominate, but he was controlling that fight, and then he, he eventually finds a submission. So when when we've gone such a long time without Charles Oliveira getting tested in those deep waters, um, it's hard to say that he'll quit when he gets there when we haven't seen him in a fourth or fifth round, especially um, this newer version of Charles Oliveira. And for that reason, I, I don't even factor Charles Oliveira quitting um, when it comes to predicting this fight. Now, um, the actual X's and O's and how I think this fight is going to go, I'm, I'm also conflicted because I think that if it gets to the ground, especially early, Charles Oliveira will be able to find a submission. Now, with that being said, I think Dustin Poirier is a very good wrestler and, and could very possibly um, prevent Charles Oliveira from getting this on the ground. And I also, um, well, I think that in itself would really hinder the, um, obviously that would hinder Charles's ground game, excuse me, but... It would be interesting because that would result in a pretty much striking battle. And in theory, Dustin Poirier is the better striker between these two. However, I would also say that in theory, Michael Chandler is a better striker than Charles Oliveira. And Charles Oliveira was able to find the knockout there. And Michael Chandler, as we've seen, is a very tough guy that will get in wars. Um... And with that being said, how much is the threat of the takedown going to affect Dustin Poirier's striking? Because I think there will always be this fact that I am facing one of the best, one of the best grapplers in the world. You know, let's not let's not let this get onto the ground. I'll have problems there. So I wonder if that could result in Dustin Poirier pulling back a little bit. Um, in the hopes of the fight staying standing. And there's a good chance that Charles Oliveira could find some shots that could um, could stun Dustin. I don't know if he has the ability to dust knock Dustin out. Um, once again, at the same time, I wouldn't predict Oliveira to knock Chandler out. Now, my prediction for this fight is I'm going to go with Charles Oliveira by decision and my reasoning behind this um first of all i have picked against charles Oliveira since i want to say going all the way back to kevin lee i definitely picked kevin lee to beat him i'm pretty sure i picked tony ferguson to beat him and um if i remember correctly i picked michael chandler but i think that one i was looking at that to be competitive and michael chandler kind of um etch out a a win um so i've doubted charles Oliveira, and for me picking charles Oliveira and him losing so be it but i'm gonna feel like a real idiot if i pick charles Oliveira and dustin wins because it's going to be one of those things where i should have known better um and not only that, but I think the X's and O's are going to end up playing in Charles Oliveira's favor. I think Charles Oliveira 
has a really underrated striking, and I think that um, he'll be able to balance his game well enough to where he can incorporate his tremendous grappling with um, with his high-quality striking. And one of the big things that led me to picking Oliveira was when I realized that he was a little bit taller than Poirier. Um, usually those things don't really... Um, change my mind when I'm picking a fight. I shouldn't say change my mind, but affect my opinion, rather, when I'm picking a fight, um, unless it's a massive size difference. For example, Sean O'Malley in um, early in the Pavia. Um, that that size factor is going to play a, a big role there. But Charles Oliveira isn't that much taller than Dustin Poirier. Um, but I think that will help him stay on the outside a little bit. And it will help him um, use a jab, um, which are things I think he needs to do if he wants to win this. And um, But an overall summary, I've got Charles Oliveira by a decision. And I, um, I think this is going to play out... Um, I think it's going to be close. I think it's, you know, it could be a 3-2. Um, I think Oliveira is going to have some moments where he gets fight the fight on the ground a couple times and gets some control time. I think there's going to be some times where he's winning some striking exchanges and that leads him to picking up um, enough rounds to win. But at the same time, I think Dustin Poirier is still a tremendous fighter and I think he is good enough to go out there and, you know, at least pick up two rounds here where um, he's really flowing and landing some good shots. So that is my prediction as of now, Charles Oliveira by decision. Now, Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. This was a fight that I am way more interested in now in comparison to, let's say, three days ago. Um, I didn't expect there to be bad blood in this fight. I was surprised that Juliana Pena was um, coming after Amanda Nunes at the press conference, and before we even get into the fight itself, the press conference, um, Juliana Pena, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that some of the things, I don't want to say ridiculous, but um, Amanda Nunes, you know, I'll just say I'm taking Nunes aside on, on that little verbal war because, you know, you can't really, if you're Pena, you can't really diss Amanda Nunes for accepting a fight with Ronda Rousey. Um, at that time, many people still considered her to be the greatest women's fighter of all time. Um, legacy was tainted after the Holly Holm loss, obviously, but um, that's a, a major opportunity for Amanda Nunes. And, you know, for Juliana Pena, you know, if Juliana Pena was giving that same decision, I bet she picks to fight Rousey instead of Nunes, especially um, if, you know, you don't consider belts and if you take it back to that um, time period. Now it would probably be a different discussion because Nunez is the undisputed GOAT, but um, you know, it doesn't really make sense. And meanwhile, Pena said that Nunez was fighting cans when she beat Jermaine Durant, when Nunez, that is, beat Jermaine Durant, I mean, who submitted Juliana Pena. So it's like things aren't really adding up. You know, Nunez fought Shevchenko. Um, doesn't really add up, the, the, the claim of fighting cans. Now, um, when I'm looking at this fight, 
Um, my thought process is, you know, obviously Amanda Nunes is going to win. Um, the biggest thing that I've been mulling over is how and when is she going to win this fight? And I could see, you know, I could see a knockout. I could see a submission. I wouldn't be surprised if Juliana Pena tries to take Amanda down. And if she is able to take her down, Amanda's jujitsu is good enough to where working off her back, she could catch a submission. Um, she could catch her submission in transition. Um, she could catch a submission. She could catch a guillotine while Pena um, is attempting a takedown. And that even that's even if um, the fight gets to that point. Oh, sorry about that. But um, I think Nunez wins, and I'm gonna go by submission. Uh, we're gonna take it. We're gonna take the risky one. We're gonna go Nunez submission in the first round. Now moving on, Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio. This is a example. This is an example of tremendous matchmaking. I think this fight makes a lot of sense, and I'm leaning Santiago Ponzinibbio. And it's really less to do with the X's and O's and who I think is a better fighter. Jeff or Jeff Neal, excuse me, has a lot of things going his way in this fight. You know, he's fought Wonder Boy and he's been in there with some very talented guys. And I think the experience is going to lean towards Jeff Neal and I know obviously Ponzinibbio has a lot more fights but I think there's something to be said for fighting some of some of the competition that Jeff Neal has fought you can learn a lot more in a fight against Wonderboy or Neil Magny than you can against a you know let's look at um oh Ponzinibbio beat Neil Magny too I forgot about that my bad that was in 2018 but outside of Neil Magny, you know, Mike Perry, Gunnar Nelson, you know, there wasn't much there. Um, Miguel Baeza, who was a younger prospect, tremendous win. I'm not trying to um, discredit that win, but in terms of fighting tougher competition, I would probably give it to Jeff Neal. But in the overall fight, I lean Santiago Ponzinibbio. I think that he is starting to get in his flow again. You know, he was out for a long period of time. And I think it takes a minute to get back in. Um, I know people say ring rust isn't real. But if you look at Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz has always said ring rust isn't real if you take the proper preparation. Santiago Ponzinibbio is in a position where when he was out, he was sick very badly. So he couldn't really prepare the proper way just because he wasn't able to. At least that is my understanding of his illness. I could be wrong on that. But... Um, and then if you look at Jeff Neal, not to um, bring up unfortunate events, but Jeff Neal was arrested two weeks ago and got a DUI. Now, I don't know all the details of that, but I feel like that hurts him, obviously, for two different reasons. The first reason being, you know, you're out drinking two weeks before a fight. Probably not the best idea. On the other hand, that adds a lot of distractions and a lot of stress in your life going up, go, leading into a big fight where you are the, you know, you're the third um, in terms of priority. And then I know it wasn't originally going to be there, but, um, you know, Jeff Neal is probably under a lot of stress. And I think that goes against him in this fight. So I am picking Santiago Ponzinibbio to win this fight by KO, um, let's say around two. 
Now, another very interesting fight. We've got Kai Kara France versus Cody Garbrandt. And this is Cody Garbrandt's move to 125 pounds. I don't suspect that that move dropping a weight class from 135 to 125 is really going to be an issue at all here. If you look at Cody, he has never been particularly big at 135 pounds. Um, he has said before that he could move down to 125 pounds. Now he has finally done it. He made weight. He looked good. He got a nutritionist. And a lot of times um, that nutritionist can play a big role um, in terms, obviously, obviously in making weight. But when you go to having to make 35 with no nutritionist to 25 with a nutritionist, that nutritionist could, you know, could put him in better shape um, in comparison to what he was at 135, um, just because he cleaned up his diet so much. I don't know what his diet was before, obviously. So if Cody had a clean diet and then brought in a nutritionist, um, not going to be as big of a change. But if he had a terrible diet, brings in a nutritionist, uh, I imagine there's going to be a big effect. So um, now that that's out of the way, um, like I said, weight cut, not even taking that into consideration. Um, looking at the X's and O's, Kai Car France versus Cody Garbrandt. The one major, major, major flaw that will always be brought up in a Cody Garbrandt fight is his chin. Now, I am really intrigued as to what is this chin going to look like. Because if you look back to some previous fights, right? Um, Pedro Munhouse, TJ Dillashaw, you know, Garbrandt gets hit and he gets in a war. He starts throwing. The opponent finds a chin, puts him down, that's it. And at the same time, if you look at the Rob Font fight, he got hit a couple times. I don't think that fight was ever a war necessarily, but he was getting hit. Now, where that comes into play, I think Kaikar France is going to make be able to make this a high-paced war. Um, and I think that is going to hurt Cody Garbrandt in the long run. I don't think that... You know, I think, I think, okay, let me rephrase this. I think Car, Kai Car France is going to be able to land, and I think that he will be able to eat a Cody Garbrandt shot. Um, whether that means he gets dropped and gets back up, um, I think he will be able to withstand some of those punches and create a brawl. And I think Kai Car France in a brawl who Kai Car France can make a fight dirty, can make a fight, um, can can make opponents expose themselves. He did it against Bonjourine. I think he will be able to do it against Cody Garbrandt. Um, so I'm picking Kai Car France by knockout. And let's say round, I don't know, round two. I hate picking first round knockouts because I feel like picking a first round knockout is like saying someone's going to walk up there, land a shot, and it's going to be a 15 second, you know, it's over. Um, I think there'll be a feeling out. I think the first round will set the pace for the fight. And then the second round, he puts um, he puts them away um, when they're both in big exchanges. Moving on, one of the most exciting fights on the card, Sean O'Malley and Harlena Paiva. Now, Sean O'Malley and Paiva is going to be a very interesting fight. Because Paiva is someone who I struggle and to myself, to determine just how good is this guy. How good is this guy? You know, looking at who he's beat, you know, he's beat Kyler Phillips. He's beat Zilas Zermagulov. 
He's beat Mark De La Rosa. You know, um, Mark De La Rosa is, you know, has fought at 145, I believe. So that's someone who's significantly bigger than him. Mark De La Rosa has not fought at 145. I am wrong. My bad. Um, anyways, anyways. I was thinking of Charles Rosa. Um, he lost to Bonjourine and he lost to Kai Car France. And then, you know, other than that, he's got a lot of wins over, you know, I don't want to say nobody's, but, you know, these things were outside of the UFC and they were even outside of America. Um, sometimes when there's regional guys, I can recognize some of the regional names and, and kind of get a feel. But when guys are fighting regionally outside of the states, it's a lot tougher for me to recognize the level of competition they took on at the regional scene. So I'm not even sure about those guys. But, um, you know, what he's got in the UFC is some wins, some losses. You know, he did some impressive things. Ex- Things, especially in that fight with Kyler Phillips. Kyler Phillips was looking good, and Pavia, you know, came back and eventually won that fight. And I think that is a skill that could play a major factor in this fight, um, especially if Sean O'Malley s- starts fast and lands, lands some good shots early. Pavia is going to need that skill, and he's shown that he's got it. Now, where. And, and Sean O'Malley, on the other hand, you don't. We also don't know quite how good Sean O'Malley is. Sean O'Malley has been has proved to be a tremendous striker. Um, Cheeto Vera was able to land a really nice leg kick that put him down, and credit to Cheeto Vera for that. But that doesn't take away from Sean O'Malley's entire repertoire of striking and skills he has standing. On the other hand, we haven't quite seen the ground game. And there's rumblings and there's talks that he has a very good jujitsu game. And I've seen some clips of him doing some wrestling. But it's really hard to say for sure until you see those in action. But um, Empavia would be the type of opponent who I think would be able to expose that if those skills were missing. Now, when it comes to predictions... I'm going to lean Sean O'Malley. Um, with Sean O'Malley's size over Pavia, and like I said, I'm not a big range guy. There's there's a handful of fights where I think range could play a factor, and I think this is one of them. Sean O'Malley is someone who's a world-class striker, and he knows how to utilize range. Um, having such a large advantage in the range department sometimes can be meaningful if you don't know how to use it. I think Sean O'Malley is someone who can use it very well. Sean O'Malley is going to be throwing long one-twos, hitting from a a far distance out. He's probably going to throw some teeps. He's going to throw a lot of kicks like usual. Um, He'll be able to throw some, some more effective leg kicks just because he can stay so far outside. So I think that Sean O'Malley is going to be able to keep Pavia at bay. Um, And I think early, Sean O'Malley is going to come out and put himself in some compromising positions. He might take it more risky. But I think that even if Pavia starts making this fight competitive, even if this becomes a, a super competitive fight, I think Sean O'Malley is still going to be able to win because he can, he can always go back on the basics, the one-two, the leg kicks, um, the teeps. He can do these things and really keep Pavia at bay. And if Pavia 
really tries to attack or or commits to anything to get inside, I think Sean is going to be able to catch him. So I've got Sean knockout round two. Um, I think he's going to really be piecing him up and then um, eventually find a big finish in that second round. Um, however, I wouldn't be surprised if the other scenario I, I laid out happens where Pavia is having success and Sean O'Malley um, kind of changes the tides, changes his game plan a little bit and catches him coming in. So I think both of those are very um, are very real possibilities. But either way, I've got Sean O'Malley second round knockout. Now, Josh Emmett versus Dan Ige. This is a good contender for fight of the night. Um, anytime Dan Ige or Josh Emmett fight, you have to be thinking this could be the fight of the night. And when you put them into in there together, you know, I don't want to say it's a it's a done deal, but um, Dana White might have those checks written out already. And um, for for both of these guys, for Josh Emmett, for Dan Ige, this really this is an important fight in in the entire landscape of that featherweight division. Both of these guys are just outside um, some of the big names. So there's a lot at stake here. And I'm interested to see how this plays out. And um, this is another fight that I am very, very 50-50 on. But I am going to lean Dan Ige just because he has been the more active fighter. I think that is going to play a role. I think that Dan Ige also um, has good enough grappling to where if Josh Emmett tries to wrestle with him, I think Dan Ige is is going to be prepared for that. But um, I don't think that either guy is actually going to attempt to get this to the ground. I think this is going to be a war. And when this becomes a war, it's really hard to say which guy is going to win. You know, it's like... I don't want to say it's like picking Gaethje versus Chandler. Um, but you've kind of got that same mindset going in where these guys are going to throw down. I think that the Gaethje and Chandler was a little bit easier to pick. But um, still, um, this is going to be a really close one. I lean Dan Ige, but to anyone that picked, picks Josh Emmett, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Josh Emmett goes out there and gets a win. Um, I've got it as a decision for Dan Ige. Um, once again, these two are going to be absolutely going to war. So if somebody crumbles, I would not be surprised if either of these guys find a finish. But when I sat down and um, made an official decision, um, I decided Ige decision. Now, um, one of the other fights that is incredibly interesting on this card, Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz. This is another fight, once again, incredibly impactful in that bantamweight division. These guys are ranked 8 and 9. And, you know, there isn't a lot of, of room to, to, you know, there isn't a lot of room left before you get to the top of that division. They're at 8 and 9, but 7 is Cody Garbrandt. He's going to be out of the rankings after Saturday, um, you know. So... The winner of this could break into like a Rob Font type fight, um, which would put you one win away from Jose Aldo, and that's uh, 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 Aldo a Sandhagen. A lot, uh, a lot of options there if you can beat Rob Font, um, and that's if you know 
either of these guys could get the fast pass with a good performance, especially Dominic Cruz, someone who is a, a UFC champion and many consider him to be the best of all time at that weight class when he was in his prime. Now um, that we got the stage set a little bit, the X's and O's. This is a fight that is hard to pick because my heart is telling me to pick Dominic Cruz. That's what my heart is telling me. You go with Dominic Cruz. My mind is telling me Pedro Munoz, and I'll explain that a little bit. I think that the leg kicks here are going to play a crucial, crucial factor in this fight. Pedro Munoz throws great leg kicks. If you don't believe me, go watch the fight with Jimmy Rivera. He's going to be chucking leg kicks. Now, um, the reason that is so important is, you know, that's important in any fight, no matter who you're fighting. But it becomes something extra when you're fighting Dominic Cruz. When Dominic Cruz is known for his unique movement and his unique style of striking on the feet, by kicking the legs, that can really, really take a lot out of that. And I mean, the way Dominic Cruz fights, many people can compare his footwork to a dance. Um, the way he moves in and out, slides, and things like that. But imagine getting kicked with 15 leg kicks by Pedro Munoz and then someone telling you, hey, go go dance. You know, it, it's not going to happen. And that could really stifle some of his movement. However, I think that Dominic Cruz is such a smart and intelligent fighter. I think he's going to know that. Um, I don't think there's any piece of Dominic Cruz that doesn't expect people to come and find find you know, try to crack the code to his movement. And I think the most obvious is leg kicks. You know, me saying Munoz kicks the leg hard and it Cruz and, and that could affect Cruz's unique style of movement. That is not an over in-depth analysis. You know, a lot of people could come to that conclusion. And I imagine Dominic Cruz is going to know that. And I imagine that he is going to be able to check some leg kicks. I imagine he has a plan um, to maybe catch some of those and get it to the ground and get some control time um, to pair with some good striking on the feet. So I lean Dominic Cruz by decision. I think the intelligence and the IQ is what is going to take him um, to pair with some of that unique striking and some of that wrestling ability. And then we've got fan favorite tied to Ivasa taking on Augusto Sakai. This is another one. This is a pick em fight as well. Uh, most sports books had it at like one, minus 115 for Sakai and tied to Ivasa minus 110, I think the lines were looking. Um, and if you don't know anything about sports betting, that is about as close of a line that you will ever see um, in terms of pick em fights. Um, it's pretty much the better saying, it's pretty much the sports book saying, you know, we don't know who's going to win. Um, and I, and you know, that's not because the sports book is ignorant. It's because these two are this close. Now I lean tied to Ivasa and I lean tied to Ivasa because of how good he has looked in his last couple. Um, you know, everyone, a heavyweight has, you know, power, but I think that the power that tied to Ivasa has displayed has been a little bit different, especially in his last couple fights. That fight over Greg Hardy, where he lands a really nice shot. Um, and it might not be power. Power might be the wrong word for it. 
um, I think it's the ability to throw something with a hundred percent, put a hundred percent behind something and land. I think, I think that's what separates heavyweights because so many of these guys have knockout power. Can you land that shot with knockout power? Um, for example, um, you see the Diaz brothers and Max Holloway, I think are both known for, um, Tony Ferguson, I think a little bit, not as much where, you know, they'll take a little bit off of it. If you see some fights with some Diaz brothers, they'll be throwing one, two, body, body. Because, you know, and they're not throwing 100%. You know, it looks like they're holding back, and it's because they are, so they can maintain some stamina and, and land some shots. And I think Tai Tuivasa is great at doing the exact opposite. So I've got Tai Tuivasa. I think he lands a shot, and I think he puts him down. Um, what round is that going to be? Um, I'll predict round one I think the further this gets away from that first bell I think the more likely Sakai is at winning this moving down Bruno Silva and Jordan Wright where am I going here I am leaning Jordan nope I'm leaning Bruno Silva um I almost said Jordan Wright my apologies but um not much to say about this one Bruno Silva has looked good as of late. Jordan Wright, you know, I don't want to say he's looked bad, but um, Bruno Silva or Jordan Wright has. Um, I'm not. I'm just not as high on Jordan Wright. You know, it's kind of hard to gauge the talent of some of these guys who haven't fought ranked opponents yet. But you know, I've just got to. I I really just have a feeling on this one. I'm leaning Bruno Silva. You know, I don't. I don't really have much more to say. Moving on, Andre Muniz versus Eric Anders. Where are we going here? This, I've got Andre Muniz. He tapped Jack Ray Souza, so I think he'll be able to tag, tap Eric Anders. That's really my thought process here. I think he gets this fight to the ground. I think he is able to take Anders down, and I think he finds a submission on the ground. What round? We'll go round... Because like I said, I'm not a big fan of picking fights to finish in the first round in most cases. Aaron Blanchfield versus Miranda Maverick. Um, where are we going here? This is another fight I'm very interested in. I think these are two of the top prospects in that women's flyweight division. And I think this is going to be a good fight. Eileen Miranda Maverick. I really liked her fight with Macy Barber. And I really, really, really think she won. Um, I think this is going to be a close competitive battle, but I'm leaning with Miranda Maverick. Moving on, Ryan Hall versus Derek Minner. I'm going with Derek Minner by decision. I think that Ryan Hall is kind of a one-trick pony. Um, he didn't look great against Ila Tuporia. I think if he can't work his grappling right away, um, not right away, if he can't work his grappling, he's going to struggle. Now, I think Derek Minner is a good enough wrestler to prevent Ryan Hall from getting this fight on the ground. And I think if Ryan Hall can't get this fight on the ground, I don't think he can win. So I think Derek Minner has a takedown defense and um, is able to, to um, keep this fight standing. I think he picks away to a decision um, by stopping that takedown. But, 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 um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Hall catches a slick submission somewhere in here because it, it's Ryan Hall 
at the end of the day. Moving on, Randy Costa versus Tony Kelly. Where are we going? I've got Randy Costa. I really, really like the way Randy Costa looked versus Adrian Yanez. Yanez is someone who many people love his boxing. I am one of those people. I'm very high on Yanez as a prospect and as a fighter. With that being said, Randy Costa had some moments in that fight where he was looking good, you know, and I think that is going to continue. I've got Randy Costa. Um, let's switch it up. Let's go first round. We'll go first round knockout. I originally was going to say two or three, but we'll switch it up. Go first round. Randy Costa has some first round finishes already, so he's got the ability ability to do it. I think he gets it done against Tony Kelly. Now, the last fight we're going to talk about from UFC 269 and the opening fight of the night is Jillian Robertson and Priscilla Cachuera. Now, I'm going to go with Jillian Robertson here. Um, She has some very, very good submissions, um, and I think she's going to be able to find some of those. And even if you look at her record, which I just pulled up to make sure she does, in fact, have um, the submissions that I'm talking about. She, she, um, okay, so looking at her record, why doesn't that say, not say, rear naked choke, rear naked choke, arm bar, rear naked choke, arm bar. You know, she's got a lot of UFC experience. But another thing looking at this, I'm on Tapology, and she's got one, two, three, four, five, six grappling bouts. Um, albeit she did lose one, two, three, four of those, five of those. But her only win it came over Caitlin Chukagan. The rest are two you know, grapplers. Oh, there's another one. That makes that makes her, you know, what did I say? Six? So, six, four. I don't know. Um, bad math. But she's got one more win than I said she originally did. Okay. Anyways, I think she can find a submission. She's been fighting in grappling fights. She's got UFC submissions. I think she finds a submission over Priscilla Cachuera. Now the question is, what round... We will go round three. Just what I'm feeling. Just what I'm feeling. Feeling around three knock or submission for Julian Robertson. And that ends it for the preview of UFC 269. This should be a great fight card. And, you know, um, there's a lot of the line on the line for a lot of these guys. And we are obviously going to talk about UFC 269 again. And we are going to do that on Sunday. Today's Friday. You know, you might watch this on Friday. You might watch this on Saturday. Um, I doubt you watch it on Sunday because it is a preview. And if you watch it on Sunday, it wouldn't make much sense. Now, if you are interested in hearing the recap, which I will be doing, that will be posted on Sunday. So if you're watching this right now on Sunday, that would be strange. Just go watch the recap that I probably did. Now, now that we are done with that... Last week, I didn't record on Sunday, so we missed the Jose Aldo versus Rob Font recap. And there are a, you know, usually I would just let it slide. Um, I've missed a couple in the past where, you know, sometimes you're just busy and can't get to it. Um, I try to 
you know, recap every single week. Sometimes you miss. I missed this one. My apologies. But, you know, can't let it slide. We got to get to it because there are a lot of things that I want to talk about, a lot of fights that I really liked. All right. So, obviously, the main event, Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is an absolute, absolute legend. He wins another one. Not only did he win, he won on two scorecards, 50-45. He won on one scorecard, 49-46. I don't know how. I have no, listen to me, I have no idea how he didn't get a 10-8 in any round. I absolutely have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me that somebody can get a knockdown and then have two minutes of ground control after they get a knockdown. You know, although probably should have walked out of there with two 10-8s. This did happen six days ago. So excuse my memory, but um, I believe it was the fourth and fifth round where he got knockdowns and then controlled the majority of that round on the ground. What more do you want? What more What more do you have to do for a 10-8 than get a knockdown and control the fight after that on the ground? doesn't make any sense to me. doesn't make any sense. I'll, I'll never understand it. So guess what? We're going to move on from it. And um, his performance itself, very, very good. When you look at the first round, you're like, this is, you know, this could go either way. But then he started landing more. And as he started landing, he started hurt, hurting Rob Font, you know, almost caught you know, three, I think it was the second round that he stole with a knockdown. Maybe it was the first down round. I can't remember. But he steals round with a knockdown, um, gets two more, and he was beaten, beaten up Rob Font's leg. I mean, he, there was one sequence where he checked the leg kick and then landed one, and you could just tell at that point um, Rob Font's legs were done. Um when you when you're when you're checking leg kicks, it hurts enough. And when you're pull, when you're piling on a Jose Aldo leg kick afterwards, changes the game. Changes the game. Now, um, what is next for both of these guys? Jose Aldo is in a really really interesting spot, and this interesting spot all kind of comes from this interim champ champ. If we would have had Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan a couple months ago. We would have been in great shape, but now there's so many questions at the top of this 135-pound division. And I just realized I had my microphone for my headset open, so that's going to make me look goofy all episode. I'll close it now, even though it's too late. Yes. I love it when I do silly things that make this podcast look way worse. Um, Anyways... Anyways, um, Jose Aldo, you know, the TJ Dillashaw fight makes sense to me. And the reason I say that, because Jose, you know, a lot of people are saying that Dillashaw is going to sit out and get that next title fight. And myself, I, I was saying that, you know, that was 100%, 100% an idea that I agreed with. However, I have changed my mind. Um, things change in this sport quickly. I think that Aldo versus Dillashaw makes a lot of sense. One, did Dillashaw beat Corey Sandhagen? You know, he had a real competitive fight with him. But did he beat him? Um, I had Sandhagen. A lot of people did. A lot of people had Dillashaw. 
But I think if Dillashaw beats Jose Aldo, it really, really, really gives him a strong case. You know, it really puts aside any doubt that, hey, you guys might not have liked my fight with Sanhagen, but I just beat Jose Aldo, and you have to respect that. And you would have to respect that. Um, the other fight that would make sense, in my opinion, is Jose Aldo versus Corey Sanhagen. Now, for Aldo, he, you know, if he can't get that fight with TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen is the next highest ranked opponent. So that fight would be interesting. Um, I think that fight is a tremendous fight. I think Aldo versus Dillashaw is a tremendous fight. I think, you know, all these fights at the top five are going to be great fights. Aldo versus Font was a really good fight. It was a little bit more one-sided than a lot of people expected. You know, Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, great fight. Sanhagen versus Jan, great fight. If you do Jan versus Dillashaw, great fight. Jan versus Aldo, already was a great fight. Jan versus Sanhagen, great, was a great fight, like I said. So, I think Sanhagen makes a level of sense. Corey Sanhagen also makes sense for makes sense for Rob Font in the sense that they're both ranked 4 and 5 and both coming off losses. Um, you know, looking at, you could also do... You know, you're going to have Pedro Munoz and, and Dominic Cruz both opened up after this one. So I think that would make a level of sense as well for the winner to take on, you know, like a Rob Font. Now, moving on to Rafael Fazeev versus Brad Riddell. Rafael Fazeev, you know, put the show out there. These two were in a great fight. Fazeev ends up, ends up hitting that that uh, spinning heel kick and that'll put your lights out and it did tremendous performance by Rafael Fazeev the question is what is next for Fazeev you know looking ahead of Fazeev in the rankings there isn't much there he's not gonna he's not gonna get a fight with a lot of those guys you've got Gregor Gillespie and I want to say Gregor Gillespie was booked with somebody I actually maybe he wasn't I don't remember but if Gregor Gillespie is unbooked, we will find out in 3, 2, 1. He is. Gregor Gillespie is unbooked. Book it. These two are two of the best prospects. They're ranked 10 and 11. Book it. Um, outside of that, if you half of his has to fight up in the rankings, you know, you've got McGregor ahead of him. He's not getting that fight. You know, as much as people say, oh, who would win this fight, Fazeev or McGregor? Oh, that'd be a cool fight. It's not going to happen. Listen, listen, listen real closely. We're getting real personal this one. This is the second time we've done this. Rafael Fazeev and Conor McGregor will, will not be booked, so don't even bother speaking about it. Even though they are ranked ninth and 11th in the rankings, you know, that fight will not happen. Get over it. Now, um... That fight with Dan Hooker, would that fight happen if Dan Hooker stayed at 155? That is a possibility, but it really sounds like Dan Hooker is jumping to 145 to get a breath of fresh air. From there, you've got Tony Ferguson. Could that fight happen? Maybe. Um, but there's also a good chance Tony doesn't fight for three months and we don't hear a word about him, and then he comes back to fight um, RDA. You know, or you know, it doesn't really matter. And then from there, if you're looking at six on, I don't think any of those fights happen. 
So I've got Fazeev versus Gillespie. For Brad Riddell, I don't think he should slide too far. Um, Bobby Bobby Green makes a lot of sense. I think that would be a really fun fight. Um, and both of those guys are, you know, Bobby Green is, is probably, if you had to continue ranking outside of the top 15 at lightweight, Bobby Green is probably chilling at 16, 17, 18 range. Um, and, and Green lost to Fazeev and he lost to Tiago Moises. So maybe Moises makes sense in there too. I completely forgot about him. But there's a lot of guys, like we've talked about almost every episode on this podcast, there's a lot of guys at 155 that you could book um, to fight in that second um, tier of that division. Moving on. Um, I've said that about 150 times this podcast. But moving on, Jamal Hill gets a statement win over Jimmy Crute. Jamal Hill goes out there. Lands a nice, lands, lands a nice hook, right? And then, you know, Crute works up to his feet. What's Jamal Hill do? Goes right back to it. And then, what's he do after that? Lands a nice little ground and pound shot. Jamal Hill, 48 seconds. Let's get out of there. 50 bag bonus. Congratulations to Jamal Hill. Tremendous performance. A guy that I have been high on on a while. I love seeing Jamal Hill succeed. He did so in that fight um, against a tough opponent in Jimmy Crute. Jimmy Crute is no bum. And um, Jamal Hill went out there and, and knocked him out in 48 seconds, which is a very meaningful performance um, when you're looking at this division. After the fight, Jamal Hill called out two people, Paulo Costa and Johnny Walker. Now, um, I think Paulo Costa should move to 205. I don't think that Jamal Hill would get that fight. It's not that I'm against it per se. I just don't imagine it happens. Um, I think the UFC would rather have Costa against uh, an Anthony Smith, a Tiago Santos, a Dominic Raz. That's what I would imagine. I think that fight could happen in the future if they both stay in the division. I just don't think that that fight happens You know, for Jamal Hill's next fight. However, what it did do was lay a really good, you know, he planted a seed for a future fight. Because I think most people heard that call out and were like, ah, probably not right now. But I don't hate that fight. You know, I think for Jamal Hill, the other name he gave was Johnny Walker. I would argue you could push Jamal Hill a little bit higher than Johnny Walker. However, um, I would not be opposed to a Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill fight. Um, looking at the entertainment value in that, that fight would be highly entertaining, and I'd love to see that fight. Um, I think you could also book Jamal Hill against Nikki Akrilov, Volkan Ozdemir, maybe even Dominic Reyes. I think there's a lot of names in that 7 to 10 range that make a lot of sense. I don't think we should push Jamal Hill, you know, don't throw him right in there with the top five. Let him get another one outside the top five first, whether that be Reyes, Ozdemir, Kurlov, Walker. I think all four of those names make sense. He said Jamal Hill. Um, I think that's a tremendous fight. I think if I were to pick, I think I would pick Johnny Walker. And then um, if he gets another knockout there, then you have a lot of options moving forward where you maybe could spring forward into the top five. Maybe you could get that Paulo Costa fight. Um, 
but I think Johnny Walker is a very good next step to a lot of the very strong options and um, bright future of Jamal Hill. Now, we are going to skip around a little bit. Um, moving down to Chris Curtis versus Brendan Allen. This was a really surprising fight. Chris Curtis found himself another knockout. And Chris Curtis has done, you know, what Chris Curtis has done is he's been given an opportunity, right? And these opportunities were not easy. He was not giving, given, you know, easy things to do. They said, step in on short notice, fight Phil Hawes. Tough, tough thing to do. What's to do? Finds a knockout. They say, hey, you want to do it again? This time you're going against Brendan Allen. That's a tough task. Um, fight, Brendan Allen isn't an easy opponent, and Brendan Allen isn't an easy opponent on short notice. He goes out there, finds another knockout. So Chris Curtis has, has been given an opportunity, and he has grasped that. Grasp, grasped. Oh, good Lord. The way I pronunciate some words, you wouldn't think I had a podcast. Anyways, moving on, um, or, or not moving on, back to it. Jesus, this has gone off the rails quick. Anyways, um, he's probably knocking on the door of the top 15 at this point based off a win over Hawes and a win over Brendan Allen. Brendan Allen was ranked 15th. He eventually got slid down um, and knocked out of the rankings that is and he is no longer ranked um or, or wasn't ranked when that fight started i think edmund shabazian and chris curtis makes a level of sense to where chris curtis isn't someone who chris curtis isn't someone who is a tremendous like you know chris curtis hasn't you know gone on a tear and you know he hasn't been on. I don't know how to describe this. Chris Curtis isn't the best fighter that you've ever seen in your life. And that gives the UFC an opportunity to see Edmund Shabazian rebound. Um, who Edmund Shabazian is someone the UFC put a lot of work in promoting. At the same time, for Chris Curtis, if he can get a win, he gets ranked. And, you know, what I just said, I would look back and I'd look like an idiot. And other people that doubted Chris Curtis would look like an idiot as well. So I think that is very beneficial for both Edmund Shabazian and Chris Curtis. Now, jumping around again. In the last fight, we are going to talk about Manel Cape versus Zylas Zermagalov. Now, um... Cape came into the UFC. He loses to Alexander Pantoja and um, Mateus Nicolau. And he really turned it around. You know, he's got two first-round KOs over Ode Osborne and over Zermelogov. And he is now ranked again. And this isn't something that, you know... This career trajectory of Manel Cape isn't really what everyone was expecting. Everyone was expecting, and including myself, right? I was expecting Cape to come in and really cause some damage in that top five and get a title fight against, um, at that time, it was Devison Figueredo, but I thought he was going to get a title shot. And, you know, he lost twice, and people were saying he might get cut. He gets two very impressive knockouts. And now, 
you know, he is ranked, and I think a fight between anyone in the top 10 to 15 range makes sense. I don't think we, you know, maybe you could expand that a little bit to 8 and 9 with Nicolau. Well, he already lost to Nicolau, but you could run that back. I think that was a split decision. Matt Schnell would be a fun fight at 9. His fight got canceled today. Um, you've got Bontorin. You know, there's a lot of options for him, and I'm really not going to complain. I think he lands somewhere between 10 and 15. And my reason for that is I was surprised the UFC um, gave him another unranked opponent. They gave him one. I was like, wow, I'm surprised they gave him an unranked guy. Um, they gave him a second. I was like, well, they gave him a second one. So I don't think they're they're in a rush to promote Manel Cape to the top of that division. Um, and with that being said, we're all done here. We're done here. Okay. We have reached the end of the 49th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. We will be back on Sunday, however. But before I let you go, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like. Do all of that BS. And if you've made it this far, you might as well go follow me on Twitter and TikTok. Haven't posted a TikTok in a while. I keep forgetting my bad. It happens. All right. Don't want to hear it. And um, I do still post it on Twitter quite frequently. So make sure you go and follow those two social media platforms. And make sure you come back on Sunday for the recap of UFC 269. We're going to talk about all the fights. We're going to talk about the implications and where these fighters are going moving forward. But most importantly, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast.